Um, and I think of a quote, there was a paediatrician, Janusz Korzak, and he was a director of an orphanage in Warsaw. He was a Polish Jew, refused sanctuary repeatedly because he wanted to look after his orphans, and he ended up being murdered with them in Treblinka in 1942. And he said, what matters is not what one plays with, but rather how and what one thinks and feels while playing. One can play wisely with a doll or play childlessly and foolishly at chess. And I guess basketball's like a vehicle. Um, it's a teacher of life. I've been so fortunate to learn so much from it and, and to apply those learnings to other areas and other areas into basketball. You're listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing health and physical education teachers. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform by New Zealand PE teachers for New Zealand PE teachers and their students. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone, as most of you are likely aware, the last seven months have been pretty full on for me as I've been creating content for my study series, which launched early in Feb, and getting the 300 odd classes on board, which are close to about 5,000 students, has been a fairly big task, which unfortunately led to a delay in getting NZPE TeacherCast up and running for 2017, so I apologise for the delay, but if you get some time, please do check out our content over at pe.mystudyseries.co.nz. Over the next few weeks, we're taking some time to talk with elite coaches or athletes who are also involved within education. Most of these will feature PE teachers, but we do have a few other educators in mind. I'm really interested in seeing exactly how their sporting or coaching success has shaped the way they approach education. So our first guest for 2017 is a fairly well-known and successful basketball coach within New Zealand. His name is Zico Coronel. I've had a bit to do with Zico in a few different contexts over the years, and as a basketball coach myself, I can easily say that Zico is the most knowledgeable basketball coach that I've encountered in my brief coaching uh, career, if you want to call it that. His focus and commitment to basketball is like nothing I've seen before, and as his current head of department, I see on a regular basis how this discipline translates into great teaching in the classroom. So enough from me. Zico, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I was under the illusion I was here as an elite athlete, but <laughs> apparently it's my coaching. So. <laughs> cool work, mate. Um, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school or our school and the students you teach? Yeah, so I started my teaching at Hamilton Boys High School uh, before I went to Tico. I was a coach there for six years and they got me on board to do some relief for three years and that was a great learning experience you know, on a class-by-class basis to try different things and see what would work and what didn't work. And I really changed the way I taught quite frequently and found little things that worked and things that didn't work. I went to Tico at Vic in 2011 and since then I've been at Hutt Valley High, Wainui Amata, done a bit of relief at various schools and then eventually that relief led to Rongatai and over a series of little short appointments that's effectively led into me being here for my third year. Um, as you're aware, I've got every age group I'm teaching this year at school 
and we have a really cool school. It's diverse. It's a traditional boys' school, but it's got this slant where Samoan's probably the dominant culture at the school. So it's it's quite unique. You go to assembly, and you know it's not a traditional clap 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 clap. It's this little rhythm that they do, and they mean it as the highest mark of respect for someone's accomplishment below a haka. So. It's been a really cool school to be at and to really, I guess, learn about some other cultures and see how they can integrate into a traditional English-based context. So you've done, um, you've done high decile, low decile, you've done a really good mix of teaching experience. Um, what, what, what's your preference? High, low, middle? In, in terms of your experience, what have you found? Um, I think this is probably my sweet spot. I mean, I went to New Plymouth Boys, which tends to be around a 7 or an 8, and that seems to be what I've found I've enjoyed the most. Uh, low decile, bless the hearts of the people who teach there, it's, it's a huge challenge. Um, and I guess with my other commitments, I honestly probably didn't have the time available to do those schools justice. Um, and then at a higher level, I probably don't find the kids as relatable um, you know, they obviously come from a really privileged background and I don't relate to that as well or necessarily understand that as well as, I guess, someone I feel like had to grit and grind a little bit to, to be successful. So, teaching aside, I think your true love must be basketball. Can you explain your current role or roles within basketball and any recent successes you've experienced? Yeah, so I guess my main role this year is the head coach of the New Zealand Under-16 boys. It's my new challenge for this year. Um, I'm also the assistant coach for the Wellington Saints. This will be my seventh year with Saints, and it'll also be my 13th year as an NBL assistant coach. Um, in the 12 years previously, I've been lucky enough to be a part of four teams that won the championship and a couple of losing finals. So I guess making the final once every two years is pretty good. Um, but obviously it's because I've been with some really great teams. And then also at school, I head coach uh, Rongatai's juniors, um, and that's been a really pleasurable experience building a culture that you know, has really been built over the last, year, last couple of years in conjunction with Chris Tupu and also the exceptional kids that we were fortunate to arrive at about the same time as. It wouldn't have been as quick a rise if it wasn't for the fact that we had some really exceptional athletes arrive at the same time. Um, and also I do commentary for Kahawai Productions and Māori TV at the New Zealand Secondary School Nationals the last two years. Um, and that's been a great learning experience to see a totally new field, and it's very enjoyable. I guess in terms of successes, 2016, in terms of results, really couldn't have gone better for me. We won the championship at NBL level, and then with our Rongatai juniors, we went undefeated and won everything that we possibly could. But it was more the cultures that I was a part of. The Saints, we had an awesome culture, and then I, and then the Rongatai Junior culture topped it. So it really was awesome. And then Cat with the appointment to the New Zealand team at the back end of the year. So it's going to be tough for this year to match it. But I look forward to the challenge. It's a lot of lot of successes, and, and you touched on culture. Um, and if you know Rongatai College, that's that's a big part of what we do here. The uh, the boys make it. Um, we have that uh, brotherhood that um, everyone buys into, teachers, staff and the, and the students, and it does make it um, a really enjoyable place to teach. Uh, you, you've had, you know, those successes were massive, um, and I think it's really cool that you got rewarded with that head coaching um, gig, which is um, fantastic, and I think you're going to do an awesome job at that. Did you even lose a game for juniors in the last two years? 
Is it undefeated? No, we lost a singular game to Danny Page is my assistant coach with my New Zealand juniors and I think we would maybe have won four or five of the matchups last year but he's got that singular win against us in the last two years and, and I mean they played really well that night and we didn't play particularly well but I mean it was one of the reasons I felt inheriting the head coaching position last year I actually felt you know if we had of lost a game along the way and still won all the championships it kind of would have felt like oh that's what we accomplished last year so it, it kind of really felt like we we needed that undefeated season in some ways to feel uh, like I'd added some value but um, we didn't really concentrate on that we were just so process oriented and the results take care of themselves and we didn't really worry about winning or losing mm. and um, funnily enough we didn't have to worry about it we just won, but that was never the focus. The focus was playing beautiful basketball, having the right culture, and then the score takes care of itself. Mm. Jumping straight into the deep end here, consider both of these roles, teacher and coach. Now, they have their similarities, obviously, and really both roles are striving for the same result. But if you could create some sort of hybrid of the two, what are the three main characteristics you think we'd likely observe? Yeah, I think like we talked about building culture, I think that's really, really important in both. I mean, you have your classroom culture, you have maybe your form class or your house or whatever structure you have, and then your overall school culture, and that's really, really important, and obviously your basketball team as well. So having those skills of building culture, and there's definitely some similarities. I think, you know, you're trying to create a brotherhood or a sisterhood or I guess a personhood if you're at a co-ed school, of learning improvement, um, having that growth mindset that Carol Dweck's popularised, um, that really spoke to me the first time I encountered it because I recognised that I'd probably been quite fixed as a youth coming up and it was a paradigm shift for me and quite transformative and I think it's really made a big difference to my life um, and so I've really put a lot of work into that and to try to get good at developing that um, successful learner psychology and others. Um, I think a part of that you know, we used with the juniors a lot last year the Kipling poem If, and he talks about triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. And so we trained, we play games in Wellington with the juniors on a Tuesday night, and we trained on Wednesdays. And a big factor in that was kind of like it didn't matter how much we just put the beat down on someone, we still got training tomorrow, boys. We have a lot of things that we could improve upon. And we never really got too high or got too low, I think. If you saw the photos of us after winning the championship, mm -hmm. it was quite restrained. And that was at the College Sport Wellington level. We still had a tournament to go, but it was almost like we could let our hair down and enjoy it when we went undefeated for the season. But the boys were actually pretty restrained again, and I think they really had got to the point where you know, they weren't basing anything on winning and they weren't going to be overjoyed by it because they understood that Kipling idea. And then the other thing we combined, and, and I, I would say this is really important as educators, but I'll talk about how I think we're ham hamstrung about a bit with this, is there's a Doc Rivers quote, he's the LA Clippers head coach, and he talks about uh, mediocre athletes want to be left alone, good players want to be coached, great players want to be told the truth. And I think we had an incredibly supportive environment for our juniors last year and were very compassionate and caring but at the same time really really blunt and the kids embraced it you know they they really embraced like I want to show that I want to be told the truth because I want to be great and I think in the classroom 
we need to do that too. So often coaches or teachers, we have conversations about our learners because they're all learners, whether they're players or students, and we don't necessarily share what we think with them. And I think we do a great disservice to them and they don't understand why they haven't improved. So I think you really need to tell them the truth. But at the same time, one of the things I guess I've struggled with in making this transition is that in a team, you can be very clear about what your expectations are, and if someone doesn't meet them, you can just cut them. And in teaching, we don't really have that avenue, and I guess that's something that, you know, over the years that I've taught, that's something that I still am grappling with as to how do you navigate that difference, and I think it's a really, really fundamental difference um, that makes teaching probably more difficult. Yeah, it's, a, it's something I've heard a lot um, mentioned by non-educators going, oh, you know, I don't know how you do your job because, um, you know, if somebody doesn't want to learn, I just want to kick them up the ass and send them off. But, you know, we can't do that. We have to um, find ways to connect with our learners and make sure that um, we are trying to help them progress and be successful in life. Um, you mentioned a book um, by Carol, Carolyn Dweck, was it? Carol Dweck. Carol Dweck. Um, I, I just... Um, since some professional learning today, and that book was brought up around that whole growth mindset. It's a good book worth, worth reading. I mean, I actually think in some ways her articles, that's what I saw first, are better. The book, I think, could have been written better, but it probably is worthwhile. Um, it goes into a lot of practical advice, not just about what the mindset is, but how did you grow it with your children, with your athletes, with your class, and different theatres so it is worthwhile um, and it's not that complicated I don't think to start creating a growth mindset but it does I guess create a little bit of um, you have to think about how you're going to scaffold it we've talked about trying to build a learning environment with our junior program and one of the things that we're quite reluctant to do is is let people attend practices um, especially other students and the reason why is because, you know, that, that there's that fakama, that shame, and we've got someone like an Ezra Viafa who was the MVP at Nationals at our school, and he's got quite a big reputation, but he is he's a good kid, and he, I think, sometimes feels the pressure of living up to that expectation of others, and we really want him to work on his weaknesses, and he's really willing to do that, but he, if there's other people watching, might get a little bit worried, like I saw Ezra trying to work on his weekend and he missed, he's not that good. And that really can inhibit someone to only stick to their strengths. So we really wanted to create a learning environment and we talk about mistakes of omission versus mistakes of commission. If you forget to do something, that's something that we're going to hold you accountable for and in and, and our way come down pretty hard on you. But if you try to do something and it doesn't come off, we will support that player and have their back 100% and basically just, you know, all good. I think it's, um, I think as from a teacher perspective too, we are quite, um, Fizet is a, a, we're quite innovative. So I think, and, and reflective, we tend not to be of a fixed mindset. We are pretty open to that growth mindset and I think if we can instill some of those um, behaviours or habits into our students um, 
I think it's, a, it's at least a, a good start. Um, I, what drives you as a coach? We've had chats in the past where you discussed, you came to a point where you decided coaching was going to be a priority in your life. So what drives you to keep on pushing, keep on learning and continuing to craft your skill despite the challenges uh, you might encounter along the way? Well, I, I guess, you know, sometimes people think the amount of time I put into my basketball coaching, like, would you get bored? Um, and I think of a quote, there was a paediatrician, Janusz Korczak, and he was a director of an orphanage in Warsaw. He was a Polish Jew, refused sanctuary repeatedly because he wanted to look after his orphans, and he ended up being murdered with them in Treblinka in 1942. And he said, what matters is not what one plays with, but rather how and what one thinks and feels while playing. One can play wisely with a doll or play childishly and foolishly at chess. And I guess basketball is like a vehicle. Um, it's a teacher of life. I've been so fortunate to learn so much from it and, and to apply those learnings to other areas and other areas into basketball. Um, there was a Michael Jordan commercial, you're probably familiar with it, and it asked, what is love? And then it had a sequence of his career and him talking about what it meant to him, and, and I gave it a lot of thought, and I came up with love as being fascinated by the intimate details. Um, and for me, I'm fascinated by the intimate details about basketball. I just want to know more about it and to keep learning and learning and learning and how better to explain concepts so that they end up occurring on the court. Um, and I guess being a facilitator of synergy and culture and individual growth, um, you know, it's a pretty good feeling when you see these kids go to a new level in their lives and you've had parents coming in and saying, my boy's a changed boy and... It's, I think, because of his basketball. He's a new man and he's so much more confident and outgoing and knows how to attain a goal and how to push hard and deal with success and failure and all those different type things. So that's pretty um, good feeling. And then I guess, like, I want to work with the best players I possibly can um, and that will probably and hopefully mean eventually leaving teaching. Um, and then I guess family accomplishments is another one, like, I guess, to... Just to give brief one, you know, I'm a great granddad golf at a knighthood, turned it down. I mean, a, a second cousin's one of the top research cardiologists in the world, and other cousins regarded arguably as New Zealand's top lawyer. And you can kind of go on and go on with these little accomplishments, and you kind of feel like you better do something big to be <laughs> able to like be respectable at the um, family reunions. So, hopefully, I can get to a point where my accomplishments sound pretty good or even a small percentage of what they were able to achieve in their lives. Um, give, us a, give us a stretch goal. What, what, what's your ultimate goal in basketball? Is it reach NBA or coach a college or what? Or what? Yeah, absolutely NBA. Um, that's something I guess I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Um, initially as a player, as a little kid, but then pretty early on realised that that probably wasn't um, realistic for me genetically and that my uh, what came easily to me was much more tactics and strategies and understanding. Like I don't find that hard um, to understand things like that and so I kind of realised I probably had a better chance of progressing further as a coach and I mean that's the ultimate and, and I really feel my knowledge is right there with the majority of NBA coaches um, and probably... You know, if I was in the States, it probably would be a little bit easier avenue and I might have made it by now, but being in New Zealand, it makes it a little bit more of a challenge, but not one that's insurmountable. Um, and I probably have to learn more about how to, how to breach that 
Pacific Ocean, if you like, mm. um, to become better at that. But, I mean, I'd love to coach in Europe. Certain countries I would like to experience just as a person, but also coaching in them. And my my preference is pro basketball as opposed to college, though I wouldn't be adverse to that if it was a stepping stone. Yeah. Keen to hear your thoughts on a, on a similar question relating to teaching. Often this is, um, as I'm sure you've experienced, it's a, it's a fairly thankless profession, much like coaching in a sense, particularly if you're on a losing streak, but what keeps you pushing on in the classroom? What keeps you focused and driven to continue educating our akonga? I guess one of the reasons I chose to become a teacher was that there was a real correlation between that and coaching. I mean, I'd finished my high schooling in the States and I came home mid-year and I sort of had half the year to think about what I wanted to do next year when the university started. And I didn't really know. I knew I wanted to be a coach, but I wasn't really sure of how I was going to get there. Um, But I I guess I, over that time, realised that teaching and coaching, they're basically the same thing. You're a teacher of basketball. Um, And so... That was a big thing, that if I could improve as a coach, that would improve my teaching. If I could improve as a teacher, it would improve my coaching. Um, So I guess I want to continue to improve as a teacher, understand how to best facilitate learning better, how to cultivate a learning culture collectively and a mindset individually. And then I guess those are big things, but on a more smaller scale, you know, I guess you have your little sub-goals. I mean, I want to make 3PT a better course, and I think that's been accomplished this year, though there's still work to do. Um, I'm in the sport and education this year, which is something I've wanted to do, and I think I have a natural uh, kind of, I guess, inclination to think in an integrated way. So I like making those connections, so I'm kind of excited to, I guess, be a part of a platform for trying to do that to the best of our ability. Um, so I guess those are the things that are driving me, at least this year as a teacher. As an extension to that question, how, how does coaching directly influence your teaching in the classroom? So some sort of direct link from Zico as a coach to Zico as a teacher in front of the students. I guess that they both are based on credibility. Um, what you permit, you promote. I can't remember who first said that or where I read it but it's probably a fundamental at the real bedrock of my coaching pyramid if you like I think it's easier as a coach because of that cut aspect Um, it's probably a little bit harder in a classroom because you kind of maybe have something and you refer it on and then the dean says well he's back in your class and you know and so to try to establish that credibility is probably a little bit more difficult Um, it's not as stark whereas in a team and someone's out of there and all the other kids are like well where's Jimmy today oh he's gone because you guys saw how he wasn't sharing the ball it's a pretty blatant (laughs) message but um in teaching we don't have that to the same extent but the credibility routines um and then I guess you know you get better at your interactions with people um your interpersonal skills I think a great thing with basketball being such a world game probably second only to soccer is the diversity that you get exposed to and, and really getting to intimately know people from all around the world and different walks of life and really seeing that some of these people are much more deep in their thoughts than maybe people give them credit for. I think of someone like a Lindsay Tate who grew up in southwest Auckland and he has kind of that accent that people maybe would correlate with being not that intelligent but Lindsay's highly intelligent and some of the discussions that I've had with Lindsay or been 
a part of group discussions that he's been a part of have been very, very deep and very, very insightful. Um, so I guess when you're working with a kid who might be of a similar background, a Māori or a Samoan student, though Lynn's will probably uh, take issue with being compared to a Samoan student, has some jokes always with the Samoan boys. But, um, you know, that these guys have probably got a lot more knowledge than maybe people give them credit for. Um, it's collaborative, there's an equality, there's a respect. Um, I guess one that's probably a little bit different is um, the use of hype. Um, you know, I guess in basketball you're always trying to pump pump up the trainings and make them exciting and, and really make it loud and boisterous. And, I mean, that goes counter what we want in the classroom sometimes. So I guess that's kind of difficult, a theory lesson. You probably don't want to be loud and boisterous in many ways, but I do think it should be fun and I think it should be enjoyable and I think there should be laughter um, and humour in a classroom. And then I think, you know, but in a practical lesson... I mean, yeah, hype the kids up. Like, they do something good, be a bit of an idiot, yell some stuff out, you know, and make, because they like it. They'll be like, yeah, okay, they can't guard me, and they will go harder. <laughs> and then I guess, like, also, in some ways, almost the use of alter egos a little bit, and for the kids as well. I mean, I talked about Lindsay. I mean, when he's on the court, he's tits. And, you know, he can't guard you, Tiz. You're too quick, too big. And he starts being like, yeah, I am. And that really enhances his play. But really never refer to him as Tiz off the court. He's Linz or LT. And, and, and so he's a really humble guy, a great listener. And he can be a different animal on the court. Um, I think that sometimes it's helpful for those kids who have a little bit less um, confidence. You can see that. You know, they, they are maybe a bit inward and they could do with coming out of their shell and just being a bit more confident. And, and so sometimes almost like there's a lot of kids at school that, you know, I've got little nicknames for and 99% and of the time they like that and they buy into it. Yeah. And um, a lot of times the other boys do, you know. So you've got kids at school. I mean, we've got a little fella at school and um, – his name starts the B, and we call him Swaggy B, and he kind of has just a little more swag and confidence when he's in PE. Um, you know, another boy, we call him the Greek Freak, and, you know, that's in, uh, there's Antito Kompo, who plays the Bucks. He's the Greek Freak. He knows it's a compliment to be compared yeah. to him, and, and just little things like that, and they seem to really rise like, yeah, I'm the man. And it's, I guess, good to see them have that confidence. Um, one thing I've enjoyed observing in your teaching practice is the culture flow on from your basketball experience. You mentioned in the last question um, that worldly experience that you get. So um, in a sense, I guess you could explain it as almost like an Americanization of a New Zealand classroom. You take American sporting culture and you weave it within your lessons. Can you tell us a little bit about this and how you see it benefits your students? Um, I guess being a basketball person America becomes such a part of your life and, and it almost is a mystical place. Um, you know, ever since I was a little baby in 1984 Olympic, a couple of Sam Eagle, a puppet and a toy came back, it seemed a little bit like the Mecca. Um, that might be an interesting reference given their current treatment of uh, <laughs> Islam. But, um, you know, so I guess I, when I got there, it was quite, it was almost like being dumped into Oz, like, oh, I'm here, this is it. And I guess I experienced American high school and, and finished there. But 
I guess a few, I mean, one of them's not an American. I mean, Piero was so good when he would come to practices, especially if he is supporting youth practices of creating that hype. Um, Kenny McFadden's a very good hype guy, and, and so I guess like working with those people saw how hype could really increase the engagement and enjoyment level um, of the players, of the students. Another person I've probably learnt a lot as an educator from is Bill Simmons. Uh, he was a long time with ESPN, now with his own network, The Ringer, um, and HBO. But using metaphor and analogy, he's done a great job of tying in like pop culture to sport and really using those things to highlight uh, points that he would like to make. Um, and I think that that's something that we can do in teaching. I mean, everyone identifies with movies and shows, and I think sometimes that can really help people to get things. And in the least, it makes the class a little bit more interesting and entertaining. Um, and then I think, like, a little bit, there's an element of role play and drama. Um, of course, we both got to experience Rabina Cummins at university and... Um, her humour, even if it was at her mm. own expense. I mean, I bet we both remember what the hippo campus is yeah. and things like that, just because of the, the humorous way she delivered that learning. Um, it, it, it really helps your long-term memory, which is what the hippo campus is, of course, about. We remember this. Um, so I guess I'm not uh, adverse to maybe having a little bit of element of laughter in the classroom, possibly at my expense, um, I guess like when I did relief my year at Hutt Valley High, I got drama classes quite a bit and I guess maybe found that I had a little bit of ability at that kind of stuff and the kids, you know, they were like, oh, we, are you a real drama teacher or you could teach drama? And I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I quite like putting in little things. I think, you know, when I'm teaching about the ATP PC system and I kind of talk about it from an evolutionary basis that, hey, when you were cruising around the savannah, and the lion jumped out, you don't have time to, like, excuse me, Mr. Lion, I just need to stretch, warm up, <laughs> and get my uh, aerobic energy system ready to go. You have to have something to go to to fight or flight, and that's the ATP PC system. And I guess play acting out that whole thing, I would like to think that that's probably a pretty memorable lesson for the kids, and they're like, oh, that was pretty cool, and at least they enjoyed it. And I think, you know, who wants to come to school every day and not enjoy yourself? And then I guess the last aspect of the Americanization is that they've had, you know, well over 100 years of professional coaches. So the smartest people in their sports have been sitting around all day thinking about how best to teach things, tactics, strategies. Um, and now in the last 15 to 20 years, I guess, with Moneyball and Michael Lewis, analytics. Um, and I think that's a really interesting tie-in with our sport and education. I mean, there's just so many tie-ins with maths. I mean... 9GM which is our top stream class at school I have them and they were moaning about maths the other day and so we'd had a quick you know I guess impromptu learning moment to talk about how maths informs shot selection in basketball and for the most part they were really into that discussion like oh yeah it's pretty cool we'd never thought about that um, so I guess you know, I mean, basketball in the States has become, and it's because of the internet all around the world, it's a very intellectual um, pursuit, and really you can pursue it as complexly as you like. I mean, there's some of the smartest professors, like Harvard professors and things in the world, going, you know what I'm going to do my next peer review journal on? Rebounding and defensive transition and the balance between the two, and the maths is beyond your ability to understand it unless you're a very good mathematician. 
but the results are fascinating and I wish I guess I had a known earlier in my schooling that how valuable maths could have been. Um, you know, so I guess there's elements of that American uh, influences coming through to our sports and into our education as well. I liked how you mentioned, um, you know, the, the stories and the analogies and I guess building narrative. Um, that's, a, that's a really big thing and my teaching that I still don't do enough, but um, I think we could make a, a better effort to, you know, instead of just standing up the front talking about a concept, but bringing it to life for the students um, and, you know, you're clearly doing that, which is awesome to see. Uh, we got a few more questions um, before we wrap up. So, first of all, you're a big reader and also podcast listener. So, suggest a book and a podcast for our listeners with content that will have a good flow on into their teaching. Um, I guess leading on from what you said, I mean Gladwell, he's so good at using case studies, and so he just naturally flows from case study to theory back to another case study and makes connections between things that you would have never seen as being related if he hadn't pointed it out. So I think, like, obviously his actual books are interesting, but also studying the way he delivers them is a really interesting way he takes some things that could very easily be bland and makes them incredibly interesting. Um, so any of his books... If you, if, you haven't, if you haven't read any Gladwell, um, my suggestion is to stop this podcast right now and jump onto Audible, and Audible gives you a 330... Um, this isn't, I don't get sponsored by Audible, but um, I, I've got an Audible account and you get a 30-day trial and a free book, um, but grab Outliers and he narrates it. Um, and if you've listened to his podcast, um, what is it, Revolutionist History? Is Re right? Revisionist History. Revisionist History. history. Um, he's an amazing storyteller and Outliers just has so many good links to physical education and stuff like that, but really jump out, grab that book, listen to it, um, it's it's fantastic, um, he, he, he's an amazing dude, sorry to interrupt. It's all good, um, so I guess like, I have more than one, but I'll try to talk about them reasonably quickly, a Speed of Trust, Stephen M. R. Covey, um, talks about strengths, weaknesses, how there's a sweet spot for them, and you know, you can be too honest, like, the Jews are hiding upstairs when the Nazis come to the door, too honest, <laughs> you know, but you can obviously be not honest enough, and so... For I think a lot of our students understanding that their strengths and their weaknesses or I guess their characteristics, they have to find the right sweet spot. You know, you a lot of times get that really boisterous kid and they're incredibly humorous and they love to participate and share. Sometimes they do that too much. You're like, yo, you've got to actually listen to other people. Other kids are the other way. So just understanding that weaknesses and strengths are on a continuum. Uh, Gary Klein Insight, it's an amazing book about, I guess, being able to see things and foresee and understand, um, similar to Gladwell's Blink, but I'd say better. Um, and then I kind of picked two that are a little bit different. None of these are that related to education directly, but if you can think about how you translate knowledge. Um, one is The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. It's all about the processes he used to take the 49ers from being basically the worst team in the NFL in the late 70s to being the pinnacle organisation in the 80s and 90s. Um, and, you know, even the title, the score takes care of itself. I mean, it just underlines yeah. how important processes are rather than worrying about results. And then the last one that I actually think should be almost compulsory reading or at least a summary of it in the social studies uh, department, but for any human is Germs, Guns and Steel by Jared Diamond. He basically answers the question, why did Europeans come to dominate 
the world and he says well if you're not given the reasons you're left with going well I'm not supposed to think this but Europeans are superior and he goes well we obviously don't want to think that so I need to provide you with the reasons why it occurred and he basically outlines all these different circumstantial factors that led to Eurasians dominating the world that had nothing to do with their superiority but was completely luck of uh, where they were on the planet and if you've ever you know, I guess struggle with deficit theorising. I mean, I don't think any of us you'd like to think deliberately have it, but it doesn't mean that sometimes you can't be frustrated with maybe that Māori or Pacifica student or class and be thinking, you know, why don't these guys just do this? They'd do better. Um, germs, guns and steel kind of destroys any deficit theorising. Um, in terms of a podcast, I mean, almost all the podcasts I listen to are basketball, except for this one, um, and Gladwell's. <laughs> so the one I kind of came up with was a new one. I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's called Playing With Science, and it's all about the science of different uh, sports. So the three episodes I've got out so far about the three-point shot, about the Tour de France, and about Odell Beckham Jr.'s amazing catch that if you haven't seen it, put it into YouTube. It'll come up real quick. Um, that's a podcast I thought could be useful to PE it teachers. Sounds, it sounds like a really good one. I'm, I haven't heard of that one. I'm going to have to check that one out. Um, awesome, some really good suggestions there, and I'm definitely going to um, take a look at a couple of those. Hopefully they've got audible books. Uh, last question. Can you briefly share two goals for 2017, um, a teaching and a coaching goal that you might have? I guess for teaching... Um, my biggest thing that I've probably put the most time and effort into so far is increasing the engagement first and then the achievement and through PT. As you know, this is the third time I've taken this course, but it's the first... It's our personal training course. So it's a unit standards-based personal training course. Yeah, it's the first time I've had it from day one. So I kind of know a lot about it, but this is the first time I get to implement it in a way that I see being best. I'll definitely make mistakes and have made some mistakes already, but I do think it's improved, so that's probably one of my big goals. And then as a coaching one, I guess I haven't really thought about result-oriented goals, but my biggest challenge for this year is building into July when we take the New Zealand under-16s to Perth for Australian state champs. And I guess all my goals around that are more about what type of team and culture we'll become. Um, and, you know, we could obviously talk about that for a long time in another context, but really I guess I have a vision for how that team will play. And if we can reach that, we feel pretty confident we can do really well, but I don't have a goal like we're going to make the semi or the mm. final or something mm. like that. I mean, I don't really know the quality of the other teams, but I know what team we could become. And then we'll see how we do. So I guess those are the two main factors um, or goals that I have right now. Yeah, with with your um, <clears throat> your engagement goal around with your three PT, um, I, I just it made me think of something that we're doing as a as a department, and we we started thinking about this on day one, and I think it's um, seen some really good results so far. But we had that we identified this issue that may be related to um, achieving outcomes, and maybe our results weren't as um, as good as they were, but we kind of focused around engagement and how our students engaged, and we decided instead of trying to address that achievement directly, we've had a focus on habits and building 
good learning habits within the classroom and um, so what we've been doing is is really trying to modify the way our students enter the gym and how they begin their lessons um, and already we're starting to see instead of kids coming in and sitting down and catching up with their mates our students are really taking a bit of ownership in their learning and going and getting changed straight away and not sitting on the bleachers and going to check the whiteboard and I think it's just a really cool way of instead of trying to directly address that um, that issue that we've identified we're trying to just build positive learning behaviors and um, I think that's um, linked to engagement like you mentioned but it's a um, it's really cool to hear how you and see how you've been dealing with that 3PT class and trying to increase their engagement with your use of digital um, technology and stuff like that so um, pat on the back for that um, but I don't have any more questions, so um, I, I just really want to thank you for, for taking the time um, to sit down with me and answer some questions. You know, I've, um, you were in my department at Wellington High School as a student teacher um, with the wonderful Tim Gibbs, um, and then I've encountered you um, in different places here and there and, and, and seen you coach and stuff like that, and it's, it's really awesome for me to... to be able to see you within a um, within my department uh, with our team in a permanent teaching position, um, seeing you with your own classes, and it's um, it's it's really cool to see that. And your your knowledge that you bring from the culture that you've built with your basketball and how you deliver that in the classroom um, is, is just is just really fantastic. And I encourage any of you listeners, if you ever bump into this dude, um, sit down and have a yarn with him. Um, he can talk, he can talk a lot, but it's all good stuff that um, he gets you thinking and he's a good critical thinker and he's done a lot with our scholarship kids. Um, just an, an all-round knowledgeable dude, so I um, appreciate you taking the time, mate. Yeah, thank you. I think I've matured as a person while I've been here at Rongatai, so thank you for the opportunity and, and you know, it was great to think about these things and put my thoughts, I guess, in place, so thank you for the opportunity to join the podcast. Excellent, mate. Cheers.